Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Song of Solomon, Chapter 2, from the World English Bible. I am a rose of Sharon, a lily of the valleys. As a lily among thorns, so is my love among the daughters. As the apple tree among the trees of the wood, so is my beloved among the sons. I sat down under his shadow with great delight. His fruit was sweet to my taste. He brought me to the banquet hall. His banner over me is love. Strengthen me with raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am faint with love. His left hand is under my head. His right hand embraces me. I adjure you, daughters of Jerusalem, by the rose or by the hinds of the field, that you not stir up nor awaken love until it so desires. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping on the mountains, skipping on the hills. My beloved is like a roe or a young deer. Behold, he stands behind our wall. He looks in at the windows. He glances through the lattice. My beloved spoke and said to me, Rise up, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of the singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens her green figs, the vines are in blossom, they give out their fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. My dove in the clefts of the rock, in the hiding places of the mountainside, Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that plunder the vineyards, for our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He browses among the lilies. Until the day is cool and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a roe or a young deer on the mountains of Bethar. That is the end of chapter 2. I noticed that my New King James Version and my World English Bible Version attribute the verses in chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, slightly differently. To be more specific, the New King James Version attributes all of the verses from chapter 1, verses 15 through chapter 2, verse 1 to the woman or the Shulamite, while the World English Bible attributes verses 16 and 17 at the end of chapter 1 to the man. I also looked at my 1995 edition of the New American Standard Bible, and it makes attributions more subtly with footnotes, but it matches the World English Bible. My NIV Study Bible, Inductive Study Bible edition, is the same as the World English Bible as well. This just highlights that it's not clear to a lot of people exactly who is speaking at what parts of this poetic drama. Looking at the NIV Study Bible again, I saw they have in the introduction that the Jews sung portions of the Song of Solomon on the eighth day of Passover. That's curious. And they also note 
in that introduction that one way to tell who is speaking is who is by who is being referred to. So if the speaker says, my love, he does this, it's obviously the woman speaking. So chapter two starts off with flowers. Matthew Henry claims that this is the man speaking here as Christ, while David Gusick staunchly attributes these things to the woman. David Gusick's explanation of the flowers as common wildflowers makes verse 2 more of a reply by the man to these claims. Thus, in verse 2, her beloved counters her, okay, I'm pretty enough flower, but just a common wildflower, with actually you are a flower among thorns, far outshining what is around you. I can't help but remember Jesus's words in Luke 12, 27, where he is telling his disciples not to worry about clothing and compares Solomon negatively to a lily, raising the lily above one of the wealthiest kings known. In verse 3, the woman ups the description of her beloved to trees, speaking of his protective shade, so very much acknowledging the greater strength of the man. And of course, verse 4 is well known by many people for being made into a song. Going back to David Gusick's commentary again, he agrees with Young's literal translation that also says banquet hall literally means house of wine, which in that culture would have been a place of storing and producing wine, possibly out near the vineyard, but maybe a place in the house where they stored valuables. So not some great hall for getting together and feasting. Then in the same breath, the woman speaks of his banner, which is a flag or symbol of who she belongs to. This is obviously not being used to treat her as property, but to again emphasize that she is under his protection and even headship. And I will link to the Mike Winger series that talks about women and ministry if you are interested in getting a more thorough discussion of headship now. However, the fact that it is a banner of love clearly signifies the relationship, much like what Paul says in Ephesians 5.25, where husbands are to love their wives as Christ loved the church. In verse 5, the picture of her being faint from love is phrased as lovesick in the New King James Version. Now, the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines lovesick as yearning, and Google even says it's having an aching desire or unable to act normally. Watchman Nee calls it exhausted with happiness. Matthew Henry cross-references this section with Psalm 119.81, where King David says his soul faints for his salvation from Yahweh. Verse 6 talks about embracing. A commentator that David Gusick references by the name of Dennis Kenlaw says the Hebrew indicates that here it is a daydream or anticipation, so it would be better worded in the English as it is stated in the Revised Standard Version where, oh, that his left hand would, etc. And now we come to this interesting phrase that will be repeated near the end of this book of poetry in chapter 8, verse 4. And that is the one about do not stir up love until it so desires. There's also some discussion about exactly what this means. One idea is that it is a caution against stirring up much love or such love before it's the right time. Another is don't interrupt my sweet reverie, referring to the woman's daydreaming. 
A third idea is don't disturb her love who was resting there with her. Or a fourth is this could possibly refer to the second coming, her love coming when he pleases. And then in verse 8, she hears him coming. Again, we have references to rose or deer. A roe, according to Easton's Bible Dictionary, is specifically a gazelle. A hind is a female deer, implying modesty and gentleness and affection. And then a deer, we all know what a deer is, but I thought I'd mention that in the Old Testament, it is considered a clean animal and used to signify being fleet of foot. These references are strangely used as oaths of a sort, but don't come across as particularly strong or court-like oaths, but are keeping with the outdoor sense of the poetry and both a sense of being wild and vitally strong. Next, the woman speaks of him being so close, but still behind a wall. She can get glimpses of him through the windows and lattice. And this reminded me of 1 John 3, 2, where it talks about, we don't see clearly now, but we will see him as he is. And then it talks about him speaking to her, inviting her, appealing to her to come away. It is time because winter is over, and so come away, my beautiful one. David Gusick presents this as another part of her daydreaming and her longing. It does become evident in the next section that she is still searching for him, so that gives some weight to this view. However, we do still have a section in between next where he seems to be speaking to her like she is hiding. This is where we get to this enigmatic reference to foxes in the vineyard. And though there is disagreement about who is actually speaking here and what the foxes represent, one thing is clear, and that is that more than one person wants the foxes to be caught because they are plundering their vineyards. Although I never pictured foxes eating grapes or grapevines. However, they do dig burrows and under fences to catch chickens. There are many ideas put forth by commentators making genuine attempts to understand this poetically and in context, but I have not found anything solidly based on scripture interpreting scripture here. The only thing that seems pretty clear is that both the woman and the man have metaphorical vineyards. See chapter 1 verse 6 for the woman and Chapter 2, verse 4 implies that the man has a vineyard because he has this house of wine, but also definitely in chapter 8, verse 11, it talks about Solomon having a vineyard. But here in this section of chapter 2, their vineyards are in blossom, ready to be pollinated to produce grapes. This could be overtly sexual, but it could also be a reference to their overall growing love and relationship. Then in verse 16, the woman states even more clearly the extent and exclusiveness of their relationship. I am my beloved's and he is mine. The lilies in verse 16 may be similar to what is how they are used in chapter 5, verse 13, where they are directly called lips. Again, this could be part of her desiring, her imagining, and her acknowledgement of the impending fullness of their relationship to come. However, other translations talk about him. They translate this section as him feeding his flock among the lilies, so it's more of a shepherd image. Then we jump, pun intended, right back to the imagery of leaping deer. I want to read verse 17 from the New King James Version to you. Until the day breaks and the shadows flee away, turn, my beloved, and be like a gazelle 
or a young stag upon the mountains of Bethair. The note in my King, New King James Version says that Bethair literally means separation, so we have the mountains of separation. Now let me read to you a couple of sections where David Gusick quotes a commentator by the name of G. Lloyd Carr, where he says, The mountains of Bethair are very hard to identify. The verbal root occurs twice in Genesis 15.10, where the meaning is obviously to divide an animal in a sacrificial ritual. Therefore, the Jerusalem Bible translates this, the mountains of the covenant. And then when he quotes Spurgeon, the spouse speaks of mountains dividing her from her beloved. She means that the difficulties were great. They were not little hills, but mountains that closed up her way. It is plain from this sacred canticle that the spouse may love and be loved, may be confident in her Lord and be fully assured of her, her possession of him, and yet there may be for the present mountains between her and him. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 